0: Welcome to Rewrite the Rules, the show about women leaders in Asia. My name is Ritu Harish, and I interview successful women leaders across Asia to discover how they are rewriting the rules of life, career and relationships. From these conversations, we will get practical and actionable tips that we can use to accelerate our own career journeys. Don't worry about writing all the points because I will summarize them at the end for you. We will also link the entire transcript in the show notes. Hi, Adelia. Welcome to our podcast. And I'm really looking forward to our conversation today. And before we get started, just a quick intro of you for our listeners. Adelia is the CEO of Mapin, a company focused on women empowerment through new income opportunity and financial access. So once again, welcome to the show.
1: Thank you so much, Ritu, and thank you so much for having me. Super excited to talk to you as well. Perfect.
0: So walk us through your journey so far. How did you end up becoming the CEO of MAPAN?
1: Yeah, it's been a long journey. I actually was an intern at MAPAN when I was at my last year of college. So I think that was 2014. So that was the early days of MAPAN. (laughs) For me, it feels like a lifetime, but yeah, I guess not that far back. Yeah, but yeah. So in my last year of college, I found out about MAPAN through a leadership workshop. Aldi Hario-Protamo, who was the founder, was speaking there. And at that time, there was no such thing as tech startups and social enterprise and such. And I was really intrigued by the concept of social enterprise, first and foremost, how you can deliver impact to people that are probably less affluent and still make money off the back of doing the business and also the concept of technology used to empower people in general. So I joined as an intern first at MAPAN, but at that time I already signed with McKinsey as a management consultant. So at the end of my three months with MAPAN, I joined McKinsey. I always thought that my McKinsey journey was like a little bit of a crash course of what it would feel like to work with a multinational company, with the global standards, understanding business acumen that is probably not so much part of what we are taught at school here, right? And then I was reached out by the management team of Gojek at that time. Mm -hmm. And so that was how I first really got into tech startup as my permanent job in 2016. It was its early days. I think the app was just launched, etc. And so I spent Five years, I think, in the Gojek group. First, I started the driver benefits program. And in my second year, I actually transitioned to GoPay, which was the fintech arm of Gojek. After that, I did a stint as a country director for Element, which was an AI company focusing on biometric solution. And Hmm. I got the call to rejoin MAPAN. (laughs) I think I I made that decision probably within a few days. (laughs) I was really excited because I think, At that time, I felt like throughout my journey, what I've accumulated, right, and where I was in my life, it just felt very full circle. I think being asked to be the CEO was definitely a stretch and a leap for me, but I felt very at home to make that leap. Wow. Wow. Mm -hmm.
0: So there there are a couple of threads, as you told me that. So there is the startup thread. Then there is Mm -hmm. a social enterprise thread, because also in Gojek, you said you worked on the incentives of the drivers and providing them financial access. And then, of course, Mm -hmm. there's Maupin. Was there always Mm -hmm. an interest or did you develop it along the way?
1: I definitely developed it along the way. So (laughs) I've never had a specialty all my life. I felt like I'm always like a generalist, uh, and so I did not know right away what I wanted to do out of college, right? I think even choosing what major I should take at college, I left it mostly to my parents, and I think entering McKinsey was my way to learn as much as possible of the options, right? Because we get to work with projects of various types of business, industries, functions, etc., but... Even so, I did. I would never thought that my decision would end up being joining Gojek like a startup company at that time because it was not even in the vocabulary of what we were working as a management consultant. But I think what I've developed along the way, it is less so about the topics, it is less so about the function. I think... For me, I'm so lucky to be able to try something and then like it so much that I end up specializing in it, right? Like the fintech and social enterprise space. But in in the back of my decisions was always which role do I think can catapult like my potential more. And it had a lot to do with who were my leaders at that time, who were the team that I got to lead. And what was the company's mission about? Is it something that excites me? I do think it comes down to personality and culture fit the most compared to the other kind of like more tangible things. And so that was what I was basing my decision on.
0: Great. Thank you for sharing your journey once again, because I think it's pretty impressive because you said you joined straight out of college and now you're the CEO of the company. So it's obviously been a very fascinating and a very fast track journey. You joined McKinsey, which is a very different Mm -hmm. firm, multinational. Talk Mm -hmm. to me a little bit about the culture or the changes, the learnings, the challenges that that you faced and you overcame while you were there. Talk to me a little bit about those two years there. Yeah.
1: Yeah. Oh, wow. It was definitely a huge culture shock. I definitely did not speak as good English as I do now. <laughs> it made me really like shy and not confident in what I'm capable of during that time. Because even in communicating, it was already like such a task, even before we get to the content and everything. But I love the culture of McKinsey. And I think it actually ended up to be what shaped me because. At that time, they had a special track for people who graduated from the local universities. It gives you a path where people understand like where you're coming from, your context, and what you need to work on more and give you a little bit more time and leeway to adapt and adjust. And so that really helped. And I think another thing worth mentioning was I think I learned mentorship like real mentorship, the first time from McKinsey, we have managers for our projects. We have our personal mentorship, but I've never felt like someone cared so much about me. I think in a professional context, right? And it it, it is not just about caring at an attention, but really putting the effort to get a get to a detailed understanding of what are my strengths and what are my weakness, and really putting the time to built a path to like work on them. And it was very methodical. They have a very structured mentorship. So I think those two things really shaped my confidence and how I ended up absorbing all the learnings from my two years there. Yeah, thanks. Sometimes,
0: especially in Asia, because of the cultural context, English not being the first language for most of us, especially with women, that can come as a barrier, right. language, and that makes us shy, and therefore we don't put our hand up for initiative, and therefore when yep. we don't vis- build visibility and things like that, right? So yep. I'm glad you shared how it taught you, how you overcame that, and that's what we want our emerging women leaders to understand that language yep. is not a barrier. We can quickly learn and again work it uh, and make it work to our advantage. So thank you so much for sharing that. I want to double click a little bit on on mentorship. You said you this that was the best mentorship you'd ever seen, experienced, how much of that are you today as the CEO of Mapan carrying into the company's culture?
1: Oh, wow. I always say mentorship is probably the number one factor that got me to where I am today a- along my journey. So it's also something that I hold very dearly in terms of putting in my company's values and the way that we run the company. I think at the baseline of mentorship is basically seeing people as like a whole human being versus like a worker, right? So it's less so about, oh, these people can do modeling or, and this person can do good PowerPoints. But I think the context of building those natural characters, foundations, and values out of people is so much about like who you are as a whole human, your background, your context, versus like where you are at work right? For us to be able to have that openness to talk about, I'm never really going to be really great at this part, but I'm probably going to be really great at this part, which I think is also that strength-based learning is something that I hold really dearly. And so that's also the second part, I think, of the mentorship, where you also choose areas where you think you can excel, right? And really hone in on that. And I think as a women leader, I think That's one of the things that built my own confidence when doing that. Because as I'm going through it with my mentor, but as I'm mentoring other people as well, it makes me feel more normal in my own journey as well. Because you can be compassionate to others. Why can't you be compassionate in mentoring yourself? And so I think that's like the third part of the mentorship values that I try to bring to the company as well. Yeah. Nice,
0: nice. I'm going to shift gears a little bit. Talk to me a little bit about some of the challenges that in your journey you saw. What were the top one or two challenges that you faced in these last 10 years?
1: Yeah, definitely confidence. I think that's one first and foremost, and I think probably true to most women. I never thought that it was external. To me, it was purely internal. And I think some people thought it's external because what that's what you end up projecting and it's yeah. easier for you to evaluate. But most of it I realized is your internal narrative of whether you are the woman that you expect yourself to be or whether you believe that you are the woman who deserves a place in this room. I think I still remember one of my managers early in my days used to say that you're really capable the only difference that will make between you doing tasks versus you leading stuff is your ownership it's you owning your capability your role in something and that's that is purely confidence right and so i think in building that own narrative in my head that was i think the toughest right and mm-hmm. think as you become a woman leader more and more you feel that there's a smaller percentage of women in the room as you yeah. go higher and higher up and so even today i think it's still a continuous struggle for me to work on and i think the second part is really about defining success but It's not about defining success in the long term for me. It's not about what do you want to be in five years, ten years. I've never asked myself that, by the way. But it's more like how do you define success right now, right? Hmm. Day-to-day, who you want to become at work. Is success winning an argument at a meeting or is success like building peace in the long term and relationships? Like these type of trade-offs of defining the micro-successes that will lead to the larger success. So I think those two are the areas of challenges for me. This is so
0: interesting and so relevant, the confidence piece. And you articulated it so well, saying there's external and internal. And a lot of time, the external is driven by our internal narrative. And I can say from my own experience, and I have been working for last, what, 25. So I'm like really Mm -hmm. old in front of you. But it is something that even now, once in a while, I have to tell myself,
1: how do you overcome that? Yeah, sure. I think definitely still struggle with that to today. And I don't think we will ever stop because it's like how we are geared. But some of the things, I think it's different throughout my journeys. In the early days, I really focus on my content. I really want to be good at this. So over-preparation was The biggest thing that drove my confidence, I think, in my early years, I felt like I'm overprepared. There is nothing I cannot answer, et cetera, et cetera. And then I got to like a middle management type of role. And I think the confidence there had so much more to do with your relationship with your peers, right? Rather than delivering your own individual contribution, plus your relationship with your team, for someone who is very, like, in their feelings like me, like, I think a lot about, like, my team and how I am to them. So that was, like, a big challenge as well. And I think th- in this part, like, self-awareness and brutal uh, honesty about, like, your context, your strength, your weakness, and really what you're thinking of at that time was really powerful to me. For example, you come into a meeting and you feel like, oh, my God, I was so blabbering so much. I'm not getting my point across, et cetera. A lot of these internal narratives, I think typically people don't ask each other to validate that because they're embarrassed. And I think I started as my peer or my team, etc. What was I delivering at that meeting? Was it good? Was it not good? Did you get the message, etc.? It's how I knew that 90% of my thoughts were just my thoughts. <laughs> and like I, most most of them are actually not reality. So choosing those allies where you can be like really honest and feel really safe to validate your inner narratives was, was really helpful. I started just like saying how I'm feeling, how I'm not confident. And it builds that level of honesty as well from my team to me. And so we're just always in the know of <laughs> what are the challenges of every team member. Now, as a CEO, I guess more of the challenge is going to come from pitching to investors, etc., which is something that is completely different. I don't think like you can ever train yourself <laughs> to do it. But I think the way that I try to overcome it is... I feel like I've gone full circle and come back to (laughs) over-preparation. And that could mean practicing with other people to like really hone in your pitch, etc. And so that has actually really helped me again now, right? But at the bottom line of it, I think throughout the journey is just to never be afraid of feedback. It's really how I built my confidence.
0: Wow. Wow. Yeah. Mm -hmm. I think you said... Such great things. I love the fact that you distributed in three parts, starting your career, over-preparing, then when you get to a middle management, then there's relying on relationships, your team, your people. And now as a seasoned leader, in your case, as a CEO, you've gone back to like over-preparing. So sometimes we need to do that. Sometimes we need to rely on relationships. So it's a combination and uh, and the feedback. Yeah, great, Mm -hmm. great. What do you see, Adelia, um, in your world, women leaders, especially emerging women leaders, struggling the most with or things that you say, gosh, I wish I could tell them this and this could help them. What do you see as their challenges?
1: Yeah, I think number one is definitely you have to build that self-awareness, like mindfulness, where you are. Why am I here? Why did I choose this job? Right. And what am I lacking from this job? What am I getting from this job? And how do I get to the next steps. These are like incredibly difficult questions to ask yourself. I do think this part is really important and I really feel really lucky to have been around people and workspace that has taught this, right, about self-awareness, etc. And it doesn't stop only by acknowledging, oh, this is my strength, this is my weakness, but what is under that the iceberg theory? Like, why are you behaving that way? What context maybe 10 years back, maybe in your childhood, maybe something really random that makes you behave a certain way and becomes a blocker for you or becomes a moment of strength for you. And coming up to the second thing, which is, I think, visualization, manifestation. (laughs) I do think it's really important to manifest. I think One of the most powerful sessions that I had in one of the trainings done by McKinsey was visualize where you feel that you were at your best. I never got asked that and I never thought to myself, what do I look like when I was at my best? What are the behaviors that I project, right? And what was about that situation that was very supporting to me to to be that person and to be my best self? I try to imagine that always in a very difficult situation, what would be the best exit here rather than trying to like figure out little by little how you solve the small issues, but at the grand scheme of things, what would be the best outcome? And I I don't think we pause enough to ask that not only in work situation, but our life in general when choosing a career, what would the best career, like best next job look like, right? And so I think taking those pauses to ask yourself that is very important. And I think the third thing that I believe that some of the most important people in my life that made me a woman leader today is the men in my life. I have some amazing men mentors, right? And I never shy myself away from actually rallying these men mentors as well as, as well as men peers, team members, yeah. etc. And I do think it it. When you surround yourself with the right men, you validate your confidence as a woman so much. It's actually to make you understand that contrast is acceptable and someone is okay with the contrastness that you built. And so I I I do really feel that it's such a powerful thing, if I reflect that, how I've tried to bring that contrast in, but of course by the the right people. Yeah, not (laughs) I think not only just any person, right, men or women, but like the right people who can come in and really bring in a contrasting perspective to you that you feel that, okay, this contrast is acceptable. I am confident with this contrast and how I differ. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. That that is a
0: great point. I like the (laughs) fact that you talked about the male allies because sometimes that is, I have seen women leaders being reluctant to reach out to their male counterparts, either to mentor them or even as their allies. But I also know that, in this journey of women leaders coming more and staying more and more in workforce, male allies or male leaders play such a big role. So I'm glad you brought that up. I know you did say that you define success more by, by as of today. But if I were to ask you a little bit, taking a long-term view, how do you define success for yourself, Adela? What does success uh, mean to you?
1: <laughs> yeah, so this will sound like a little bit personal, but I think my life goal is to reach inner peace. And so my career, anything that I work on in this life, I crave the feeling of peace internally. It's a difficult feeling to achieve for women overachievers, I feel. And so I'm always trying to optimize that by aligning myself more and more to who I truly am at heart, right? This was one of my biggest challenges, right? Defining my Mm -hmm. success even day to day. And so everything that I choose on the way there is things that will make me feel more and more aligned making me feel more and more at peace and yeah i really believe that i will be a very successful person when i can maintain my own inner peace because i believe i can project that tenfold to other people right yeah okay i know you're very young even now mm-hmm. but i'll still ask the question
0: if you were to look back at your younger self would uh-huh. there be any advice to a young a younger adelia
1: <laughs> to me i think Definitely to my younger self, what I would say is to be kinder to myself is I think Mm -hmm. the number one thing. I think I wanted so much, so fast and was so critical to myself, right? I think I was just less accepting of the process that I need to take to get there. I can't just always be the best person in the room, the smartest person in the room. I have no issue with the outcome, but... In the process, I think so much about the inner peace part and who I am internally, personally, compared to my outcome in my career, would have been way smoother and way better. Yeah, what you
0: said is correct, because I've asked this question to so many women leaders and almost (laughs) in, in some shape or form, in some words or the other, people have just said this, be kinder, be more appreciative, be more accepting. So you're right. Yeah. Yeah, Adelia, I've really enjoyed our conversation and we can go on and on. I do want to take this opportunity for you to share a little bit more about about MAPAN. What does MAPAN do? Because again, I just think it's so pertinent to the topic we are talking about, women leaders. So go ahead and tell us a little bit about the company.
1: Yeah, so MAPAN is a company that focuses on how we can empower women, uh, especially at the bottom of the pyramid, the mid to low income economic bracket, to basically attain the things that they need to upgrade their livelihood. So MAPAN means financial stability Mm -hmm. in bahasa. So Mm -hmm. that's basically like the core thesis. The business model that we use is a community rotating savings model called ARISAN, which is very much ingrained in the Indonesian social activities. And so we've taken that, we digitized that, and we've change uh, the purpose of that to like doing a collective saving together to afford household items that you need in your house. We create groups of women who have women leaders. In this case, they become our agents, quote unquote, who organizes the art and become our online to offline, like bridge to more and more women. And so these women also get a commission so that they also get an income for their family, etc. So it's really like how we can benefit the influencers, right? The women leaders within any micro community they are to basically spread this collective growth message to the collective saving model and gain something by doing that, right? But also giving more access to more women around her to basically be able to upgrade their livelihood. Wow. Wow.
0: So good. So thank you so much for sharing that. And as we wrap up our conversation, I mean, there's so much I took away, but three things actually that stood out for me that you talked about is, One is the whole confidence piece about external versus internal and how it's our narrative and how as women leaders, we can all change our narrative through one of the things you talked about is through getting feedback, brutal feedback. Mm -hmm. And for that, you need to have the right set of people around you. So build those relationships early on. The second piece that stood out for me In our conversation was mentorship, the importance of mentorship and the role that mentorship played in your career. It's a tool that's available to all of us, but we need to reach out to really maximize its benefit. The third piece I liked about the whole thing, how you go switching from role to role in what you do to prepare your confidence. And, and I love the fact that you said you over-prepare. Sometimes you rely on making sure you just have the right relationships. But again, you can go back to over-preparing and over-practicing. So those are really tools for women leaders to build their confidence. That's one of the practices. And of course, I loved your philosophy about inner peace and how do you define success? It was such a pleasure talking to you, Adelia. I'm sure
1: our listeners are going to
0: get a lot from you. Once again, congratulations and
1: all the best for everything you're doing. Thank you so much, Rithu. Thank you so much for having me. Pleasure.
0: Thank you so much for staying with us till the end. If you enjoyed today's discussion, please take a moment to subscribe to the show, rate us five stars and leave a review. This really helps others find the show. And that means a lot to us. Thank you for joining us today. This is Ritu with Rewrite the Rules podcast. See you next time.